wanted to remind you that we are currently uh, teaming up with The Arrow and Beyond Bending, our sister podcast, to do a March Madness style avatar character bracket. Uh, Basically, this is kind of pitting a bunch of different avatar characters against each other to see which ones are your favorites. Uh, So be sure to check out our links on Instagram and Twitter to see where you can go and vote in that bracket. Uh, We're going to be doing some fun discussion between the three podcasts uh, once we get to each stage of the bracket. So be sure to take a look on that. Uh, We announce each uh, winner of uh, the different sections every week. Thanks, guys. everyone, and welcome to The Legend of Portalcast, a podcast dedicated to Avatar The Last Airbender, Legend of Korra, and all things Avatar. I am Colin, the main host, and joining me tonight is Kristen. Hello. Hey, everybody. Okay, folks. So welcome back to the show. Uh, we're super excited to be back this week, even amidst a uh, global pandemic. Oh, my God. And my cat just ran over my computer. I'm glad she didn't stop the recording. That would have been bad. Um, Oh, no. (laughs) So, yes, uh, despite the fact that we are in tense times right now, we wanted to keep the content rolling, keep things light. And, uh, you know, we figured what better way to keep things light and to really have fun than dive into one of our absolute favorite characters. And that is Toph Beifong. So, uh, folks, we are going to start doing our Toph deep dive. Uh, It's been a while since we've done a character deep dive, uh, but it was one of the things that uh, was requested by one of our patrons, Amanda, uh, to uh, for us to discuss. Uh, So we were super thrilled to get to do that. Um, And a special shout out to her for uh, supporting the show, being a patron and giving us the suggestion to get back into this. Um, So. A few things that we're going to be focusing on when it comes to this Toph Deep Dive series. Um, First and foremost is examining Toph as the greatest earthbender alive and of all time. Let's let's be honest here. Um, Secondly is Toph as the daughter of a wealthy family. Um, Toph being the daughter of the Beifong family as we hear described at one point, the richest family in the Earth Kingdom, probably the whole world. Um, And then third and finally, Toph as a teacher. Um, So we see over the course of not only the Avatar television series, but also in the comics, this role that Toph assumes as an instructor, as a teacher. And we're going to keep all three of these things in mind as we kind of go uh, kind of chronologically through Toph's story. We're going to examine these different facets of her and see what kind of new insights that we can garner. Uh, but one thing that I want to uh, point out and keep in mind for folks is that because this is going to be a multi-part series, we want to get feedback from all of you uh, about things that you would like to hear us discuss and uh, be able to talk about in our 
end of series wrap up. So traditionally, when we did our uh, Azula deep dive, we just kind of concluded with uh, where she ended chronologically. But for this one, we're going to conclude with overall thoughts from you guys, the fans, uh, kind of addressing any questions that you might have and just talking about any final points after all of the insights that we've kind of gained uh, doing this deep dive. Uh, so I just want to hear first from you, Kristen, some of your initial thoughts, what you were most excited about diving into Toph as a character here. Well, I mean, everybody knows this is my girl. <laughs> like ever <laughs> since I joined uh, the original Avatar portal, that was like, I was always all for the Earth Kingdom. I was always like rooting for Toph. Uh, everything was all about her for me. She is one of my favorite characters, and a big part of that is, like, I lived her trope. I mean, minus, minus obviously, the disability part. I am not blind. I'm a fully able-bodied person, uh, but definitely the whole, like, anti-authority, don't <laughs> care about anybody's opinion, you know, just she, she embodied everything I wanted, and because I had such a hatred of Katara, and she butted heads with Katara, I felt like I was living my best life through Toph, watching her, like, harass Katara, and just take no grief from anybody, so <laughs> I'm super excited to talk about her. I've got three pages of notes sitting in front of me right now and I am ready for this. All right, cool. Um, so let's go ahead and get into the very first time that we ever see Toph. Toph's first visual appearance is in uh, the third episode of book two, The Swamp. Um, as the gang is kind of lost in the swamp and they all get separated... Aang sees a vision. First, he hears something, laughing, and then sees a young girl wearing a dress accompanied by a flying boar. This was even before we knew who Toph was, um, but this is kind of the first glimpse that we get. And the reason I didn't want to just pass over this is that I think it's super interesting that the spirits themselves are showing Aang Toph. She's already the chosen one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, very much. And I think it's like, it's this idea that like all of these figures of the gang are incredibly important and are just tied into the history of, in like how much the world is going to change in, in a way that just transcends just humanity. So much of the spirits even know that these people are going to forge a new destiny for this whole world. And I just love that we get that from them. <laughs> and it's interesting too, because while we have like the sort of like, there, there's not a whole lot of prophecy that happens in this either. It's not like there's a lot of foretelling of things very often. People can make foreboding predictions, but, I mean, even, what is it, we had Aunt Wu and everything, you know, where it, it's it's like she pretended to be a fortune teller, but it's not like she had any actual, like, uh, ability to see into the future. Uh, so I think this is, for, I can't remember too much from Korra, but for the most part, this is the first and really only time, at least in the first series, where we see the spirit world, one, actively participating in ending the war. This is the first time we've really seen that. Um, for the most part, we've interacted with the spirit world, but not in a way that the spirits are coming to us 
and telling us how to end it, with the exception, of course, of the spirits of the previous avatars, which is a totally different thing from the spirit world itself. They have their own agendas as former humans, obviously. Uh, but I didn't really think about it until I was watching episodes today, rewatching it to make sure like I got everything I wanted. And I was like, wow, they literally like foretold of Toph and like pointed Aang in that direction very intentionally. And she's the only character that really got that kind of a, you know, boost from the spirit world. Like the spirit world approves of Toph. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the other characters <laughs> get that. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's, and it's beautiful because it comes full circle in Legend of Korra with Toph returning to the swamp and just how deeply connected, even before she knew it, she was with the spirits and especially this given location. Um, so that's the first glimpse that we get. Next is the just straight up introduction of Toph in episode six of book two the Blind Bandit. So as we go through these different episodes uh, that we're going to be talking about that Toph is in, one of the things I want to focus on is what each of these episodes reveals about her as a character. Um, so a couple of the things that we're going to keep in mind for this one is that we learn a lot of things. We learn that she is blind. She's the daughter of a wealthy family. She's kept hidden from the rest of the world. She can see through vibrations in the earth. She uses a unique style of earthbending. She's brash and confident. And what's also interesting uh, that we also got to point out, because we learned in Ember Island, Ember Island Players as a nod, Toph was originally meant to be a man. And when they were first thinking of a earthbending teacher for Aang, it was not Toph initially. But... So much of that is such a commentary on her role in this episode, especially, and how much she is challenging this insane amount of masculinity that is exuding from this wrestling tournament. <laughs> and it's really funny, too, because I was reading a comment where I think they said the original male character was going to be a foil for Sokka to kind of help shine a little light on Sokka and give him some conflict and instead we end up with a spoil for Katara yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we had to look elsewhere for Sokka because for the most part I mean Sokka ends up having a lot of internal struggle anyway with this whole like I'm a non-bender thing which he of course addresses later but I really like you know Toph as a foil for Katara because I felt like everybody just kind of accepted Katara's role and even though sometimes it is pointed out how bossy she is she still maintains that authoritative figure of the group for most of the series. And I just like Toph coming in and just challenging everything and just like smashing everybody's expectations, literally smashing it. <laughs> well, I mean, in the words of uh, Aunt Wu, I mean, Sokka's greatest foil is himself. <laughs> that is also very fair. <laughs> um, so, one of the, the first things that we see when uh, Toph is introduced is in this uh, Earth Rumble 6 tournament. So the gang has ended up in Gaoling and they find out about this uh, kind of like Earth Rumble 6 tournament. And we see all of these just like buff dudes and like all of the wrestling stereotypes all 
Like, oh my god, the Fire Nation heel. (laughs) (laughs) We were watching that, and my partner is such a huge WWE fan. Like, he's still like, even who was it? Uh, Chris Jericho from the WWE. Like, he listens to his music. Like, he's a big fan of this stuff, and always has been. And when I was watching this video, he stopped what he was doing and looked over my shoulder to watch the Earth Rumble scene specifically for the WWE tropes. Oh, it's so good. Um, And, you know, it's just, again, it's, we get so much of this, like, highly masculine flavor coming in with uh, Sokka just being, like, (laughs) just so into it and so in his element. Yes. (laughs) I think he's going down. (laughs) The boulder knows how to put the hurt in the dirt. Like, just so... Corny and perfect. Yes. So setting this up provides such a beautiful juxtaposition with Toph because here comes the champion, the reigning champion, the blind bandit. And it's this little girl. And one of the first signifiers that we get that pieces together this vision from the swamp is her laugh. Aang immediately recognizes it. And as Toph just so easily handles the boulder in this just flash of earthbending that is like so incredibly cool, we see the boulder lift his leg up to go stomp. And suddenly we see the tremor sense view that Toph has. She slams her own foot down and just makes him do this split. Uh, it's so humiliating <laughs> and then just shoots him off at the stage it's so even good. the gang is cringing too like oh <laughs> it's so perfect and then that's when the uh, announcer offers a bag of gold to anyone who can challenge the blind bandit and of course ang steps up to the plate and immediately Toph is razzing him and just like, <laughs> don't she you is think- in full persona. <laughs> yes. Don't you think people don't want to see two little girls up here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, uh, she's such a blessing. And of course, uh, this fight that she has, she's kind of like first like uh, surprised saying how light on uh, his feet he is, and this is where she dubs him Twinkle Toes uh, in a beautiful way that just it continues on for so long. Um, but Aang airbends her, and she goes flying off of the ring. And suddenly, that bravado and confidence disappears. She is clearly upset. Aang is begging her to be his earthbending instructor, and she is just not having any of it and literally, like, shuts the door on him. Uh, A rock door at that. Um, (laughs) But we get to see her in her home as the gang follows her and finds out where she she lives and is able to kind of get a meeting with her parents. We're seeing an immediate clash between Aang and Toph uh, as the two of them are really just absolutely at odds with each other that dinner scene where we're seeing a different side of Toph and and that's what's really interesting too about how we go from this earth rumble six Toph who is brash and confident and like just 
so out there and like you said fully in her persona to this quiet demure like little Meek. lady yeah <laughs> and it, and it's it's so it's so sad because it's the and we'll kind of get into this too it's a reality that is uh not only for someone who has like a disability the way that people can treat them but also this there's two factors that go into it her disability but then also this like the sense of wealth in the way that extremely wealthy parents treat their children um, and particularly girls too so yes. there's a lot of like ableism and sexism at home <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we soon find out that Toph feels trapped in her own home um, as her and Aang kind of go for a walk in the courtyard and she talks about how she sees the world. And as far as character introductions go and an explanation of a character's powers, I think this is one of the best out of the entire series, Avatar or Korra otherwise. It is just such a beautiful way that they set this up. Yeah, that seismic sense is really cool. And I think I read somewhere either... I'm not sure if it was influenced or inspired by one of the two. I guess either you could argue either or both. Um, but they had talked about how it would be similar to things like the daredevil, because that's what a lot of us think about when we think of people who are really lacking anything. If you're deaf, you're going to make up for it in some way. If you're mute, you're going to make up for it in some way. If you're blind, you're going to make up for it in some way, because without one sense, the other ones have to enhance from a survivability standpoint, but also because you know, if you want to function well in society, you need to be very alert and taking in a lot of details. And if you lose one sense, you have to make up for it in other ways. Mm. And so, you know, it, it's 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 really cool to see this because this is basically like in both Daredevil and Toff's case, you know, this is an amplified uh, version of what people actually do in response to these, whether it's something that happens to them at some point in their life, but especially for people who are born with it, they are, of course, at a greater advantage of compensating for these kinds of things because they never experienced them in the first place. Mm. So they don't know what that lack of is. And I always found that a really fascinating thing because I remember growing up and I watched a TV interview once uh, at this school and one of the children there was blind. And another kid had come up and asked him, well, if you're blind, can you only see black? And the child's like, I don't know what black is. Like that word doesn't mean anything to them Mm. because they don't know what colors are. So how can you know what black or white or light or dark is if you have no uh, point of reference for that? And so I I like this idea. Um, It's not only the idea of uh, somebody with a physical disability Uh, working very hard to overcome it, but it also kind of helps. I mean, it does obviously overcompensate because she is like almost on like superhero level, uh, (laughs) which is always a tricky trope because whenever you introduce disabled characters and then you try to do something to them to make them almost not disabled, it really kind of robs them of their disabled uh, life. Mm. And it doesn't really represent disabled people. And it's a very ableist perspective of these things. But I do think with Toph, we do see her struggles with it. So even though she does have that really cool seismic sense that allows her to compensate for this lack of vision, she still can't do things like read or see artwork, which she points out to Sokka plenty of times. Um, (laughs) 
And there are definitely, like, disadvantages to it, too, because we see in the desert as well, like, it's not a perfect way to always be able to see for her. And so it's it's a really fascinating thing to confront because I feel like it's inevitable that if you have people with disabilities in this world based on what people are, are capable of, they will find ways of making up for it. We saw that with Teo and his uh, flying wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, this world is much more imaginative than our own because I'm sure there are plenty of people in wheelchairs who would love the ability to fly. But it's it's really cool to see how we blend uh, how a person who is a bender but also has a physical disability would be able to help compensate for a disability with their bending because it's only natural. Because if you're a non-bender with a disability you're kind of out of luck. You rely on technology and society to help you compensate for the most part. Uh, but in the case of benders, they literally have the power to do things that can help them really compensate for these things. And it's fascinating. It's a it's a great case study in what would happen if <laughs> um, people had that amplified ability to really see the world around them using this seismic sense. Yeah, definitely. And I love that you brought up the point that it is this idea where she is incredibly powerful. And we see that in this first episode of her introduction is that, you know, especially, you know, she's not afraid when they get captured. And when she goes on to take on every single member of this, like wrestling federation, (laughs) she absolutely destroys them. She like is, it is not even like she is breaking a sweat dealing with every single one of them. And this is one big hype episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's showing her capabilities, but I, they do such a great job of reeling her in and giving her uh, flaws and complexity, which is something that they do with every single character in this show. They, and it's the bread and butter of avatar is the way that they create these fascinating complex characters and Toph is one of the most interesting ones she is by far one of the most memorable characters of the show because when you ask people who their favorite character is and who they really enjoy it is I mean Toph is almost always in like the first thing that people will say people love Katara people love Aang People love Sokka. And, you know, but it's like there is something so uniquely special about Toph that is equal parts inspiring and badass and (laughs) just so incredibly unique in terms of a character that has been created. So we move on as uh, the blind bandit concludes uh, Toph decides to well she says that her uh her parents uh had a change of heart but we <laughs> we quickly understand that that is not at all the case and that she indeed uh ran away to join ang and the gang uh which i just have to give a shout out to that final moment in the episode where she like lifts up her hand she's like and i'll be having the belt back now <laughs> and <laughs> Sokka just throws the belt down and it just whacks her in the face. <laughs> and, it's, and it's like such a great like comedic offbeat that's just like, oh yeah, like she can do all these amazing earthbending things, but like 
if you still throw something at her like she's that, she's still blind. Yeah, she's still blind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I like those moments too because while some of them can be comedic, we can also see more sincere moments of it where you know this group of able able-bodied individuals has to learn to live around somebody who does not have the ability to see. Yes. Um like that that one perfect line from Sokka where he's like, "Oh no, it's so dark. I can't see." And Toph's like, "Oh no, what a nightmare." <laughs> like, you know, kind of pointing out the fact that he's saying these things and while he's not necessarily trying to be inconsiderate, you know, again, he's they're all learning how to be around this person because that's what happens when you surround yourself with people who are like you is you don't know how to live around other types of people. But as you get introduced to these people who are forced to live different lifestyles for whatever reason, there's sex, their ableness, their gender, their, um, you know, where they come from, all that stuff. Like, it's it's really cool to see this because this isn't the first time we've seen something like this. Mm. Uh, we've seen, like, Sokka's sexism with the Kyoshi warriors and how he went from being, like, able to get away with his attitude in his home to going to a new place where his attitude got him in a lot of trouble. Yeah. So I really like them introducing... Th- just this diverse cast of people that really kind of shine a light on how often we can get stuck in, you know, patterns based on what we're used to and who we are and how we click easily with people who are like us in certain ways and how when you throw somebody new into the mix, it can be very off-putting. And you might not necessarily be malicious when you say things, but you do have to start to remember that other people exist and maybe the things we've been saying and doing all along are problematic and we should really mm. learn how to change to welcome more people into the group. And that's really what Toph ends up being is this person who challenges the other characters for various reasons. And I think that she's a great key to exploring the other characters, especially Katara and everybody's insecurities. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we see, uh, a lot of those, uh, kind of differences of opinions <laughs> really come to a head in the chase. Um, so obviously this episode is, I always say it's one of the most stressful ones in the series because it is them just trying to sleep and just <laughs> not being able to because Azula, May, and Tylee are just relentlessly chasing them in a metal tank that seems like it will never run out of fuel and will never stop chasing them. <laughs> the whole episode is a meme for our lives. Our responsibilities are constantly chasing us and all we want to do is sleep in. <laughs> uh, it's too real. It is too it real. Is. <laughs> uh, oh my God. So one of the, th- uh, some of the things that we really kind of, uh, that's revealed about Toph in this episode is we see a little bit of her privilege and we see a little bit of her self-centeredness. Um, immediately as they are picking up and moving camp, one of the things that Aang and Katara kind of point out is like, hey, you know, when we pick up camp, everyone typically likes to chip in, you know? And it's like all of that. And Toph's just like, well, I'll just take care of myself. Thanks. <laughs> and it's immediately this clash of ideology because we have seen so long that Aang, Katara, and Sokka have been cooperating as this cohesive unit where they are looking out for each other. They are doing anything and everything for each other because I mean, where they began their journey and how far that they have come since 
they've had to learn how to trust each other. And now suddenly you bring in this new person who is a very big personality and has a way that not only they want to do things, but it is also Toph's first exploration into her own freedom and not having someone tell her what to do. And now they're kind of in her mind telling her what to do and she is having none of it in this episode. (laughs) I mean, I don't blame her. I mean, if you think about it, any kind of parental or authoritative figure for her at this point represents that lifestyle she used to live, the oppression, the ableism, the sexism, and that need to hide herself. So it, 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 it makes a lot of sense that her reaction to, especially Katara, trying to like be the boss, be motherly, and keep everybody doing stuff is going to instantly repel Toph from them. And at the same time, you know, the group obviously struggles to accept that. And the thing is, is we know that this wasn't Toph's first choice. Aang spoke to her in the gardens and, um in the blind bandit. And she's, she's very reluctant to do these things. It wasn't something she wanted to do. And it, I find that very believable in her. Cause very often people who are in a place where they are struggling, they're going to struggle against the things that are causing them, them the most grief, you know, for Aang, Sokka and Katara, it's the war. So it makes sense that the war is their priority, but mm. for Toph, it was her family life and her struggles against society in general. And now that she's finally free of that struggle, the first thing she wants to do is, you know, like you said, flex her freedom muscles, essentially. But, you know, that didn't necessarily mean that she's suddenly on board with, okay, I'm going to go help save the world from this awful war. Mm. So in a way, it makes sense that she is very much like, of the four of them, like the most reluctant of them to really take on this task because it wasn't really her prerogative to begin with. Mm, definitely. Um, and it doesn't take her long as like, she sees that the gang is kind of like digging their heels in about this is that she abandons them and is quickly just like, okay, I can see this slippery slope of you guys telling me what to do of assuming this kind of parental authority figures in my life. And this is not what I was about. I took a chance leaving home and if this is how you're going to treat me, bye. <laughs> and it's interesting because she leaves, but then she gets to have a moment with Uncle Iroh. And it's the uh, best moment in the entire series, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, it, it's so great because it is two characters that we would not expect to be in a scene together. But it is absolutely the perfect pairing for where uh, both of their stories need to be. Because at this moment, Iroh is traveling alone and he is kind of following Zuko and keeping up with him after Zuko has kind of gone off alone. And Toph, she has gone off alone herself, abandoning her friends and kind of going to do her own thing. So them finding each other has this just beautiful narrative satisfaction. And this conversation that they have with each other, it's something that you can tell Toph obviously gets a lot from, 
But I think Iroh also gets a lot from it too. And oh my god, uh, her words as she left. I I literally was watching it earlier and I was ready to cry. Ah, uh, it's it really is such a beautiful scene and the way that she f- just immediately is able to open up to him. It is because Again, it's this beautiful mixture because Iroh is this person who he's, he exudes this aura of not judging you, of just letting you be yourself and just be present in that moment. And Toph opens up and he is able to kind of probe with some questions, but he's always very kind of respectful or cheeky as he does in the way that only Iroh can be. And here Toph sees an adult who is treating her with respect. And it's such an important moment for her as a character because I feel like all of the adults that she has ever been around have always seen her as this frail little blind girl. I was going to say, her dad said it perfectly. Her dad was like, she is blind and she is tiny and helpless and fragile. Like, that's literally what he said about her when Katara asked her for help. Yeah. And it's just her not having that judgment from Iroh and him just speaking directly to the matter at hand and trying to empathize and offer some advice is just again I mean it's why Iroh is my favorite character because it's like that's that's exactly it's such a beautiful way of just conversing with someone and being present with them and such a great way to be helpful towards someone and Toph obviously is able to reunite with the gang after this as it it, it all comes to a head like when they all confront Azula and it's like such a beautiful moment where like so many everybody's kind of just like arcs and these uh, trials and individual journeys are all kind of coming to a head here as they all confront Azula on a unified front and of course Azula you know, firebends at Iroh, Zuko has to take him away, and the gang is able to kind of go off on their own here. So that gets us to uh, just one of the best episodes of this season. Uh, Bitter Work, where we see Toph teaching Aang how to earthbend. So, some of the things that we see revealed about Toph in this episode is that she is a stubborn and persistent instructor. And this is where we truly see how much of an opposite she is to Katara. We get a little bit of that in the chase as uh, she called her uh, sugar queen. <laughs> God, I love that insult so oh my much. God. So I good. used that for years. It is, oh, she is a golden child. Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, so we see those elements kind of come out from Toph in this, but it's immediately Toph is, or Aang is just so excited to earthbend and he is 
approaching things, as Toph tells him, from the perspective of an airbender, trying to uh, see how he can squirrel around things, what different angles he can approach it on. And Toph just puts it bluntly. You have to hit it. You have to meet that rock head on. And she's like, and what I mean head on, I mean like this. And then just headbutts a rock. Bash! (laughs) (laughs) She is just, oh. There is, I don't think there's a single moment where I see her where I am not fully enjoying her. Like, there are times where I get, like, burnt out with some of the other characters because, uh, you know, and I get it. That's part of the writing. Like, any good story, when you get attached and immersed with it, you're going to feel very strongly about certain things. And, you know, sometimes I can get burnt out on the other characters because it can be so exhausting dealing with them. Like, um... Aang, especially in in the final season, like he has some moments where I'm just like, I cannot handle you right now. You're being (laughs) such a teenager. But every time I see Toph, even when she's being her worst, I enjoy her so much. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Toph's approach to earthbending is, again, it's right from the start, meeting things head on. And she challenges Aang. And pushes him to his absolute limit. Immediately, she is just telling him, "Like, look, dude, you you gotta just you gotta you you can't be a lily liver about this. You gotta just like you have to meet this boulder." And she it comes to a point where she's like, "All right, I'm gonna roll this boulder down the hill at you, and I want you to stop it." And Ang is like, "Okay," and then. Katara in such a beautiful moment of her being Katara and wanting to, you know, empathize. You know, I I don't know. I can't, I don't have the line written down exclusively here, but basically as Katara is like trying to empathize here in this moment, Top's like, oh, why thank you, Katara. This is a great idea. Takes his belt and ties it around his eyes to cover his vision Uh. (laughs) and i love how ang is just like thanks katara (laughs) (laughs) oh man it's so perfect too because it's like we all know what toff is like that they basically make her into like that military drill instructor like yeah she's just taking like if you come in and you're like hey why don't we like go easy on them it's you know she's gonna do the exact opposite so the moment she responds to katara so sweetly we all see it coming with barely knowing Toph, we already know she is not gonna go easy on Aang. And so it's just one of those moments where I'm just, I was so sold on this girl. Because yeah. <laughs> she really, it's so funny because she really contradicts so many of the stereotypes a lot of people have about a person who has a physical disability. We feel like it would be difficult for them to be very confident, to have a lot of self esteem. We assume that they're self-conscious about their disability, that they struggle a lot and they need a lot of help. And this is, there is nothing about that in Toph. Toph is sick of people feeling that way about her. And, you know, she doesn't let anything hold her back. And we really get to see that in this because even though during the chase we see a little bit more of her character flaws coming out, and while arguably some of the things she doesn't hear is 
part of that character flaw because, like you said, she's stubborn, sometimes to a fault, no pun intended. Mm -hmm. Um, It really can work either way for her. Her stubbornness can work with her or against her. And, I mean, as we'll see, it really does end up being that she's not necessarily a bad teacher. Uh, It just, Aang had to go through some things to understand what she was getting at. She had to break him of his old habits and introduce him to a new way of being and thinking in order for him to accomplish these things. And so we're looking at this and thinking, wow, she's just an abusive little tyrant. Yeah. But (laughs) she, she, and she probably still is. I'm not saying she wasn't, but she did accomplish her goal, which is the beauty of Toph is even when it seems like she's just being a terrible little child, she's not most of the time. Even at her worst, she still is a very intentional person in her actions. And I love that so much about her is you're ready to to write her off and go, oh, my God, she's just being unbearable. Like nothing she's doing is going to be helpful or good. And then she completely contradicts our expectations. And it's beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. And the... Again, the persistence that we see with her is that even though Aang is trying to fight this every step of the way, Toph does not give up on him. Uh, She does things that she knows is going to get under his skin because as she sees him kind of, again, trying to come at it from different angles and trying to tap in more to his airbender self, she understands that if you're going to be an earthbender, you have to be an earthbender. You can't be an earthbender. You can't be an airbender playing an earthbender. It's embodying that bending and the philosophy behind it. And that's why I think Toph is this perfect instructor for him because anyone less just wouldn't be able to speak from that, just such a deep intrinsic understanding of what earthbending is about. And that's what makes her such a great teacher. Um, of course, you know, Aang eventually is able to meet the saber-toothed moose lion head-on and is able to stand his ground. And it's this idea that as I was kind of looking back through these episodes and reflecting on it, what it really reminded me of is Tenzin's words to Korra in the beginning of season one. You'll get these things, you'll do these forms, and then one day it will just click. And for Aang, it clicks in that moment going against the saber-toothed moose lion. He understands that he cannot run away from it, He cannot try to do anything because his friend's life is at risk. It had to deal with a life or death scenario very much in the same way that uh, with Korra being the last uh, person on the pro bending arena and being forced in this position where she wants to keep the team alive. Aang here kind of gets through that block and is able to meet the saber tooth moose lion head on. And of course, as the dust settles, we just hear the claps of Toph just sitting there <laughs> with <laughs> this just shit-eating grin on her face. <laughs> uh, oh, it's so good. It is. It's such an excellent moment, too, because, you know, it, it's and it's funny, too, because we were literally just talking about Sokka being his own worst enemy, and here he is <laughs> stuck in this crevice because he was trying to kill poor Fufu Cuddly Poops. And... <laughs> 
you know, Aang's got to come save him from Mama. And it's... And I do wonder sometimes, like, would Toph have stepped in? I'm not sure, because I, I feel like if Aang had been taken down, she might have. But at the same time, like, she really was waiting for that, you know, that moment of instinct, essentially. Because instinct is, you know, you can't think when you're acting instinctively or intuitively. Like, when you're in those moments, you have to be quick on your feet and, you know, like she says, confront things head on. Uh, you don't have time to sit there and strategize and figure things out. You have to act quickly. And I wonder how far she would have let it go. Because <laughs> she, she, we all know she could essentially figure out what was going on. All she would have to do is be tapping her feet gently against the rocks and she would know exactly what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> but poor Sokka. Because <laughs> he's like this unwilling like participant in this lesson as he's stuck in this crevice. <laughs> Again, very much uh, Sokka at his core. <laughs> yep. I promise to give up meat. And then he's like, Aang, do you have any meat? <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. So again, we see this high point of Toph, uh, obviously post Earth Rumble 6. Uh, she has won the tournament. She has uh, received this wonderful knowledge from Iroh. She has taught Aang how to earthbend. There is a lot that is going on in Toph's corner that makes her this incredible character and incredibly powerful as well. But then we get to the library. When Aang and the gang decide to go in and Toph stays outside with Appa, even before that, she comments how the sand is fuzzy for her and she is unable to bend in the same way that she knows how she should so some of the things that are revealed about Toph in both the desert and the library is that we see what she is not good at but then we also see how she begins to adapt and some of the things that she's keeping in consideration Toph is very much out of her element while in the desert. And when Wan Chitong's library begins to sink, it's this incredible moment where she is holding up the library herself. She is managing to uh, hold this massive structure from descending into the spirit world. A 12-year-old child. And it, it is this phenomenal feat but then the sandbenders come and they begin to capture Appa as Toph tries to bend at them but can't see them. It is f like it, it just in a futile effort just bending these waves of sand towards them in desperation. It is, it is Toph not in control of a situation. And it is such a far cry from what we see from her as a character when she is first introduced. And it is Toph experiencing weakness and failure. And it rocks her when uh. the gang... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so when the gang comes out of the library, 
she is she knows how badly she failed as soon as especially as soon as ang reacts to this and as ang is dealing with the loss of appa throughout the rest of the desert episode toph is basically uh, walking blind through the desert being guided and shouldering this massive amount of guilt that she has lost not only their way home and potentially doomed them, but has let Aang down and kind of sent him down this dark path. So, Kristen, I want to get your final thoughts on the desert in the library before we kind of get into our wrap-up of this section of part one of our deep dive of Toph. I, I, I really did like it because... We obviously understand that Toph has some personality flaws. I don't see them as flaws, but obviously they end up being used as flaws against her in the series. Her stubbornness, sometimes her belligerence and aggressiveness, how confrontational she is, uh, some of her low hygiene standards with her <laughs> healthy coating of earth, things like that. Like it, it, For the most part, like we, we see this character who is good with how she is. She does have you know it's fascinating all the characters have these pretty strong arcs for the most part as far as how much they grow throughout the entirety of the series by the time we get to Korra Toph still has barely changed <laughs> like she accepts her flaws she knows their flaws and she doesn't care she wants to keep them uh but this is a flaw this is one of the few flaws that she actively seeks to change. That and, you know, how well she socializes with her friends. Yeah. Um, and it does eventually change, which will come up later on. Uh, she does seem to be able to improve her ability with sand. But it is a really crucial part because they really do kind of hype up her earthbending abilities and how well she does it. And it feels like she is just this invincible character for the most part, that the only way that we can, you know, throw any challenges at her is her personality and her inability to work with the team. Those are the, like the biggest challenges she seems to face. Everything else is easy peasy. This girl can do almost everything, it feels like. So it is really great to see them ground her, like literally and figuratively, ground her mm. character a bit and give her something difficult. But... You know, t the beauty of Toph is is you're welcome to throw any challenge in her face. As we see throughout the series, it doesn't matter what you throw at Toph. She will find a way around it at some point. It may not be immediately, but she is obstinate in making sure that nothing stands in her way. You know, her goal is to always make sure that her her age, her sex, and her 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 blindness never prevent her from living the life she wants to live as well as she can live it. Mm. She is what all of us can aspire to be. Um, <laughs> because that's what we all want. We all want to be able to express ourselves as directly as Toph when we speak our minds, maybe a little bit more eloquently, but still, like, <laughs> all of us want to be Toph to some degree. The confidence, uh, she takes no grief from anybody, all these things, but at the end of the day, they still have to give her something. She can't be this overpowered character, or else, why do we need the Avatar? Toph can just go <laughs> defeat the Fire Lord on her own. I know, right? Who needs the Avatar? Um... <laughs> So it's, it's really good for them to kind of 
introduce these things to really help round her out because they really introduced her as a trope for the most part. She played two different tropes. She played the trope of the person with a disability who has overcome it with a supernatural ability, which we see in a lot of superhero comics. Um, and then there's also the trope of being like this uh, teenager with an overly protective family who rebels against that because they feel confined and suffocated. Um, but despite falling within these really common tropes, they really help give her a lot of dimension as she's introduced throughout these episodes because we see the character flaws. Now we see the downsides of her not being able to see, which is very important because it, it plays a lot, not just in combat, but in her personal life later on when she needs somebody to write or read things to her. I'm sure to a certain degree, while she puts on this mask of confidence that it doesn't bother her, I'm sure she would, being the self-sufficient person she is, she would love to not need anybody to read for her, which is why I can understand why she lives in a swamp, because <laughs> what better way to avoid the need to read things than to not live near human civilization? It's a great way to avoid reading. <laughs> and she does that. Like, if she can't overcome something, sh she will simply walk a different path. She'll go in another direction and figure out a way that's going to be best for Toph and Oh, God, I love her so much for it. All her flaws, <laughs> everything. She is such an amazing character. That's yeah. why they didn't have to change much about her. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and it's. It, I always like to point out, too, that uh, in all of the uh, times that Toph has shown up in any of the comics, one of the first things that they will always talk about how is how... They're like, yeah, you know, we just had to you know figure out the voice for Aang, you know, and everything. They're like... Toph is the easiest to write because you know exactly how Toph carries herself as a character. She is so fully realized immediately out the gate. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's so great because, you know, even though, and, and, and I think they did this pretty well. It's, it's, it's really difficult whenever I read things uh, that, that are, when you read about people who have physical disabilities and it's written by somebody who is physically able very often their goal is to help this person overcome their disability rather than confront it. And mm. it's where it gets very tricky because it's a lot of erasure for people who have these disabilities. Um, they do really well with Toph because these things do help highlight that it is still a disability. There are certain things within an able-bodied society that she's not able to participate in without assistance or just in general. And so she's she's a great character because she does work. They do work very hard to defy ableism uh, with her because she is so self-sufficient. Now it is because she has an ability that the average person unfortunately can't have much to our chagrin, yeah. but you know, she, that they built this confident self-sufficient character is important because very often people unintentionally are ableist towards disabled people because they feel like, in being protective, they're being helpful, mm. but they can sometimes drown out those voices rather than lift them up or empower them. And that's what we see in Toph's parents. Toph's parents are a perfect example of the people who unintentionally oppress people who are disabled. And so Toph is this great iconic character who I think even if she didn't have earthbending, just her attitude alone in life would mm -hmm. still have led her to <laughs> rebel and things. It's, it's incredible the way she is. But she also is another one of the great female characters introduced that just smashes the gender norms because, yes. you know, 
we have, I mean, every girl to some degree does it throughout the series. All the main girls, you know, Katara, May, Tylee, Azula, all these girls are crushing gender norms. And what I love about Toph is even though we build her as this brash, belligerent, rude, you know, stubborn female character, she is more complex than that. She is not just a straight tomboy. And we see that later on Mm. and that'll come up in other episodes is, uh, the times where, you know what, she's perfectly fine being a little bit feminine. It's not her preference, but she's so comfortable with herself that she's perfectly fine participating in these activities. It's just that in her everyday life, she'd just rather not be. So it's really cool because even though in the beginning she seems, even though she's really cool her character does seem somewhat two-dimensional sometimes because it seems like she's just this flat, rebellious child, stubborn tomboy and stuff. But every time we see her in different situations, uh, we see her growing more, especially, I think, in book three, too. Book three Mm -hmm. has a lot of really great moments for revealing the complexity of Toph. So while it is a lot of fun having her very straightforward attitude, we do see that it is partially a mask too because like everybody she has insecurities it's just easier to believe that she doesn't have them because of the way she carries herself so she's really great at you know crushing stereotypes about ableism crushing stereotypes about sexist features and females and the fact that you can be a very masculine female and still enjoy feminine things you don't have to choose one or the other you can pick from both and she obviously prefers uh what is considered more masculine traits for that society but dips her toes occasionally in the feminine side so it just it really makes her this really well-rounded and fleshed out character which is really important because as we establish she doesn't have a huge development arc aside from working on her some of her insecurities and social abilities she doesn't develop as much as other characters do and so it is important that she still has that complexity or else she becomes unrelatable yeah uh i i don't think i have anything else to say because that was uh pretty much everything that i could (laughs) want to say about that that was that was just snaps, snaps for oh days. My, she, I told you, man, she's my girl. There's so many reasons to love Toph, and I, I could just, I could write a book on that girl. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, well, Kristen, thank you very much for uh, just all that amazing, uh, just breakdown, insight, and contribution on that. Um, I just really appreciate you being able to articulate, especially a lot of the. Uh, the dynamic layers of Toph as a character and especially what she represents to such a myriad of viewers um, across the spectrum. And it was very awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Always happy. Anytime you tell me we're going to talk about Toph, I will give you nothing but gold about that girl (laughs) because that is all she produces is absolute gold. Awesome. Uh, All right. Well, folks, that concludes part one of our deep dive into Toph. Uh, We'll be continuing next week as uh, we continue further on and finish out kind of book two as we see how uh, Toph just continues to be a badass uh, throughout the rest of the season and where things are left as she undergoes the biggest transformation of her own life and completely redefines earthbending as a whole. 
Um, so be sure to stay tuned for that as we come back with next week. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, stay in tune with us uh, across our social medias, uh, Facebook and Instagram at Legend of Portalcast, on Twitter at Portalcast Pod, and you can find our website at legendofportalcast.com. And uh, again, just a, a special shout out to uh, our patron, Amanda, for recommending uh, this kind of uh, character deep dive uh, to return to. And if you're interested in becoming a patron and being able to have a say in uh, what we kind of discuss next, because it's something we uh, we poll our patrons about, uh, what they would like us to hear uh, discussed and talked about next. If you're interested in becoming a patron for as little as $1 up to $15 a month, uh, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash legend of portal cast. Uh, we've got some really fun stuff, uh, coming down the pike, not only just for our patrons, but, uh, also in general, uh, this month, uh, as we kind of were saying on Instagram, we're obviously in a crazy time right now. It is uh, just the world is changing in a lot of really crazy ways. And we just want to keep the good vibes going. Um, there's a lot, obviously, to be stressed about, but we want to just keep things fun. Uh, I'm going to be doing a uh, let's play of the original Avatar The Last Airbender game on GameCube. Um, so that's going to be a wild ride. Uh, we're also going to be doing uh, just some more live discussion. Uh, just keep uh, keep on the lookout on our social media. We're going to be posting about that and things to uh, stay involved and to uh, just keep the conversation going and keep the good vibes rolling. Uh, but folks, until next time, uh, stay awesome, stay healthy, stay informed, but most importantly, <sighs> let us leave.